Folks, it's Thursday, which means it's time once again for another episode slash issue, I almost said issue then, of the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast that is nothing but objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. Uh, I'm your host, as always, uh, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me once again, he will drink your milkshake, it's Anthony James. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Lovely. There he is. Um, This is going to be a movie diary for us this week. So to briefly explain to you what that's going to be, we're going to talk about all the movies we have watched since the last time we did one of these, which, as we explained last week, means that this week we will be talking about every movie we've ever seen. So strap in. I've got a long list here. Not holding yep. it up. I can't. It's too heavy. I can't lift it. But uh... yeah, yeah, can't even lift it. Like it's 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 uh, like um, it's probably. I'm trying to go for a charitable estimate. It's probably probably about like two thousand pages long. I reckon our combined list of all the movies we've ever seen. So um, yeah. <laughs> lucky you yeah yeah lucky you um before we get into that please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already both on youtube and on podcasting apps uh shoot us a like and a rating those help tremendously engage in the comments section like tell people what you think about the episode and share it with your friends get the people talking this is the hottest it helps a lot yeah it does it helps massively we won't grow without other without people like you yes you listener telling that other people to listen to the best movie podcast ever that's simply what this is but the people don't know about it yet we need to get them on board uh but without further ado let's talk about some movies yeah i want i'm up for it let's go okay let's go right <laughs> in we go a seamless transition into the main body of the episode um so how how many movies have you got to talk about today, Anthony? I've got one, two, three, four, five, five or six. Five or six. Okay. And five, so, the reason why it's five or six will become evident later on, because nice. two, two of them become, come as a package. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, similarly to that, I have five or eight, uh, depending on <laughs> whether we want to discuss a certain trilogy. Five as... or seven, wouldn't it be? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Five or seven. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm not a, I'm not a maths guy yeah. all right i never claimed to be i'm a man of the art i was crunching the numbers there conrad and it wasn't adding up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay well i i say what we do then is that this seems to to pan out quite nicely for us if you take us through two of yours and then we'll do two of mine and then two of yours and then two of mine and we'll round it out with one each um and and then we'll we'll see whether see where the night takes us yeah well that's you know it's only well, the it's day. Only, it's only eleven forty-two a.m. Like you know, yeah. we'll see where it, we'll see where it goes. We could be stop here. Peek, stop giving the listeners a peek behind the curtain. It's oh, night time. Yeah, it's night time. We're in our smoking jackets. And we're pouring liquid honey in the <laughs> listeners' ears. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure the the, the, the keen-eyed listeners uh, have noticed by looking at the length of the episode, we are not going to be talking about every movie we've ever seen. Uh, we're we, going just, to be... we just name them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, the be Prestige, worse. Batman Begins, uh, <laughs> yeah. like Godfather, Godfather Part 2. Just, we'll just do Flight that. Flight of the Navigator. Like... Uh, we'll name them all. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're not going to be doing that, but we're going to go through just the films we've seen in the last week or so. It's yeah. a movie diary. You know, I've been, yeah. I've been told my whole life that I should keep a diary. We're finally doing it. You know, we're finally <laughs> doing it. Yeah, we just... 
you know, we're, and this isn't, you know, may, maybe these are movies that you want to go and see. Maybe they're movies you've already seen. Let us know either way. Like, it's it's just a casual chat. Yeah, and there was a few people in the comments last week said that they wanted to uh, go and see The Last Man, last Black Man in San Francisco based on mm. my recommendation. Um, so I'm really happy to, I look forward to hear what they think of that film. Um, I thought it was a great film. Uh, so if there's anything you want to go and see based on what we talk about today, go ahead. Yep. Or um, if you want to tell us that taste is awful. Also, you know, that's I'm prepared to accept that as a as a as a valid criticism. Yeah, and also I just will before I go on as well, I will say if you, this is the first episode you're listening to, you didn't listen to our one last week. Both Conrad and I have a very wide taste in movies. Uh so yes. don't expect us just to be talking about like the ones up for Oscars or don't expect us to be talking about just Chris Nolan films. We're gonna be talking about everything all the time. So yeah. Having said that, I will start with an Oscar-worthy film uh, for my first one. So my first uh, film I watched the other night, I think it was Boxing Night I watched it, um, and it's Apollo 13. Lovely. And I think I, had... I have seen this, but I don't I don't remember. Oh, I mean, obviously I know about it because yeah, it's yeah. based on something which the government tells us actually happened. <laughs> but <laughs> please don't read too much into that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are not conspiracy but, um, theorists. I remember literally nothing about this movie. Uh, well, you remember it's in space. Wait, what? Yeah. So basically, the setup for the film is is that it follows a character called Jim Lovell, who's a. It's actually yeah. a, it's a true story, right? Yeah. Uh, and Jim Lovell was an astronaut at the time who'd spent the most time in space. Um, well, he got that record on on Apollo thirteen, um, and he basically missed. He he was in one of the original missions that went up. I think it was Apollo eight. Went up yeah. and went around the moon. They didn't get to set foot on the moon, and it was always his dream to go up and step foot on the moon. And you could sort of yeah. feel that he felt a bit of jealousy towards like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin whenever they were able to do it. And he wanted to get on as soon as possible. He was going to be on Apollo 14, uh, but they were they were the backup crew. And then someone in the uh, main crew got sick. So then they had to take the place of, the, uh, of that crew. And basically it yeah. follows the story of them going out into, the, into space. And if you didn't know, the, basically the whole, the thing that everyone knows about Apollo 13 is that stuff goes down and uh they wouldn't Houston, have made a move we have a problem Houston we have a problem exactly um so basically actually I, first bit of trivia about that is apparently in real life he didn't say Houston we have a problem he said Houston ah. we had a problem um and Ron Howard the director didn't like using that exact phrase because it sounded like the problem was in the past yeah <laughs> so he wanted to he changed it to have a problem do you think this is a bit of an aside but do you think there is a more famous line uttered by a human than Houston we have a problem even if he didn't actually say it do you think that's more famous than uh, one small step for man one giant leap for man I, th- I think they're both up there I, I i reckon Houston we have a problem might be more famous because it's 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 used so often whereas one small step for mankind i feel like is treated maybe with a bit more reverence like it's not repeated as often yeah, I think you might. Yeah, Houston, we have um, a problem. And we should do an episode on that. Like, we should do a themed episode on like the real life lines spoken by people that became, uh, you know, some of the most iconic yeah. bits of dialogue in human history. Because I think I reckon Houston, we have a problem, might be up there. Yeah, it, and also like the thing about Houston, we have a problem, or Houston, we had a problem. It is actually, um, it's actually it was it was it was like what he said in that moment. Whereas the Neil Armstrong one, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, that was very much you know put together by focus. Yeah, groups. he prepped it. Uh, you know, he prepped it. <laughs> he prepped that. This is what I think I'm going to say. Uh, so uh, so this one was much more. <laughs> they, they they vetoed America. Fuck yeah! As yeah. as he as he jumps out of the air. 
as he jumps out of a, the, the lunar lander. If Trey Parker and Matt Stone had their way, that's what it would have been. <laughs> America. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh but yeah, basically I'm I'm gonna give a spoiler for this film. Uh so I'm Jim. gonna I'm gonna warn the listeners of a spoiler here. I think most people know the story of Apollo thirteen, right? So yeah. I spoiler alert, you skip forward a minute or two to get past this if you don't want to hear a spoiler in this film, okay? When I saw this as a child, I haven't seen this since I was probably, like, well, I was born in 91, this came out in 95, so I probably haven't seen this since I was at most 9 or 10, right? Mm. I, for some reason, now, again, spoiler, I, I'm sorry, spoiler. I thought the whole time that they were going to die. Okay. The whole time. Which doesn't really add up when you think about the fact that it was based on a book from act the actual Jim Lovell, <laughs> like writing about it. But he was writing it as he was traveling. Uh, I didn't know that. Him. I didn't know that as a nine or ten year old boy. And so the whole time, and my wife was the same. Like we were watching it, thinking they were going to die. And to be honest with you, it made for an amazing uh, sure. emotional response that I had at the end of the film. Yeah, I'm sure. Be- because when they were coming through the atmosphere and burning up, there was a whole question about the heat shields. Would they hold? And, like, the most time that any spacecraft had ever been in blackout from the communications going through the atmosphere was three minutes. And they got to three minutes, and then they got to four minutes. And I'm like, well, this is how it goes. Pretty sad ending to the film. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) it's like, like, Houston, this is Apollo. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're alive. And I properly had a real well-up moment because I wasn't expecting that the whole time. I mean, yeah, they made it. Like, that's that's the, the emotional crescendo of the whole movie. Yeah, uh, oh, God, I think I mean I've I remember it still working. I to be honest, the only thing I remember about this movie is uh, well, there's two things I remember about this movie. One is that Gary Sinise is in it, um, who he felt like a very similar character to Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump, from what I recall. Um, that that might be just me completely misremembering his character. Well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> that's a no. That's a no. Then. Maybe it will. Maybe you're noticing. Well, see, Lieutenant Dan was a real down and out. Like, didn't he needed to be inspired to? Yeah. You know, whereas Gary Sinise in this film, his character was very much like a Ken Mattingly. You call him. He was very much yeah. a go getter, and he was very much like a perfectionist. You know, so okay. he's kind of like the opposite character. Although he kind of is what uh, Lieutenant Dan turns into in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's where I made the connection between them. Like, he's like sort of an early version of, of um, or well, an early or a later version yeah. of Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. Um, and not the not the middle part where he's uh, a disabled Vietnam veteran who hates everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but the interesting about this is that Tom Hanks got cast as Jim Lovell, and yeah. then uh, Gary Sinise was t- went uh, the producers and Ron Howard went to Gary Sinise and basically said, "Right, Gary, you can have any other role you want. Which one do you want?" And he chose. Ken Mattingly, who is yeah. the character who basically he gets he gets shunted from from the mission because um, because he's never had the measles measles before, and a member of a member of some other team got the measles, mm. so therefore they couldn't risk him getting the measles in outer space. So he got Fair shunted enough. and he had to stay. And he but he was really integral to them making it back. To be honest with you, so yeah. uh, so he he chose that role. I, he says that he chose chose it because Ken Mattingly, like he's like, oh my god, if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have got back. And I'm like, you chose it because you didn't have to do all the uh, zero gravity stuff, didn't you, Gary? Like, yeah. yeah. I I think uh, I I don't know this for a fact, but I wonder if this uh, movie inspired in tom hanks an interest in outer space because about three years after this he did a very good miniseries uh called from earth to the moon which is 
effectively the same thing. It's it's a it's a a, a series about the, the the Gemini and the Apollo uh, programs um, at, uh, at uh, Cape Canaveral, um, which follows all these characters in a little bit more detail. And I wonder if that was because of Apollo thirteen that he that he moved on to do that. Well, I think um, Tom Hanks. No, apparently he was a he was a history buff in terms of the Apollo missions before mm. he got this. Uh, Tom Hanks seems to be a very a history buff in all regards. Like he, yeah, he, he's a big war buff, you know, war history buff, and he's also big fan a, of typewriters as well. Lo- loves a typewriter. That loves man. a typewriter. Um, so I and, and yeah, he's he, apparently short story writer. He's a man of many talents and many interests. Um, he is, appears yeah. in Borat too, you know. So plenty, plenty to say about him, you know. Yeah. In fact, actually, that's, that's I, did, I did watch Borat 2, 2 again. Uh, that's not on my list for this week, but I did watch it again. Uh, <laughs> I still haven't watched that. I, I need to get around to it. I, I saw a, a Lindsay Ellis video talking about it, which um, made me a bit more enthusiastic for watching it. But yeah, well, I need to be in the right mood for like cringe out comedy. Yeah, Conrad, like that's that's the thing. You are that 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 person we talk we talk about. Like, uh, you need to see a YouTube video to get permission yeah. to like something. Yeah, yeah. I need I need to <laughs> I need to be told what my opinion is before I see something. Otherwise, I I simply can't form one. And uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I've seen Lindsay Ellis tell me that thing is good now. Whereas, so now... Yeah, whereas that Lindsay Ellis video meant so much more to me because I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I actually get a pat on the back for this one because my take was exactly the same as hers. Whereas you're like, yeah. thanks, Lindsay. I'll go watch yeah. it and like it now. Spoon <laughs> feeding me my opinion. <laughs> anyway, we're going on to the next movie now. That's enough of that. That's enough of that bit. Okay, you um... have one from me then. Yeah, yeah, hit me with your Borat. With your... No, I was kidding. Uh, my next, movie, <laughs> my next movie. Um, is, well, no, we won't spend too long here because you, I don't think you've seen this film, and it is sort of it's more of a nostalgia hit for me. But okay. uh, I noticed as I was browsing through Amazon Prime, uh, they had the Great Outdoors on there, starring John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Uh, and I, I remember watching that film so much as a child. Uh, it came out in eighteen eighty eight, and it's basically a story. Eighteen eighty eight. Yeah, eighteen eighty eight. That's how old it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you got dark on the mind, dark yeah, on the brain, <laughs> dark on the brain. Yeah, yeah. So nineteen nineteen eighty eight, obviously, but uh, it came out. So that's like three years before I was born. Mm. Uh, so I, I, this was a big film in my childhood. It's like it's basically a, it's a film from years gone by that they don't really do too many of these days. It's like yeah. I was having this conversation with Emer. It's like a genre of like just a, a holiday film, you know, yeah. where, where like they all the families go on a holiday. And the bad guys aren't really bad guys. They're just like a dickhead who's nearby. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I just love this film. Like they go out to a cabin in the woods. They get into a ruckus with a bear. They go. They go jet skiing. I oh, know. What do you call the thing um, where, you, where you hold on to the back of the boat on, on like a big rope? Oh, um, uh, wakeboarding. Wakeboarding. Uh, it's like skiing. Like wake. Uh, water skiing. Water skiing. Yeah. I guess you. Water skiing. Yeah. Yeah. Water skiing. So John Candy goes water skiing. It's absolutely hilarious. Goes up a jump and all. It's just. It's just a great family comedy. Uh, Dan Aykroyd plays a real obnoxious, like up himself. Uh, brother who's like really oh, is he like a city slicker city slicker um yeah, yeah and this it, i'm going to talk about it later on but this sort of ties in well to one of my other films that i've watched mm. but basically it's it's about like at the start of the film john candy's family um very much feel inadequate compared to dan Aykroyd's family and they're like yeah. very city slicker very very rich um and you know as the film pr- progresses you sort of find out that 
that that happy family of the rich family is just a veneer and actually it's not going as great as they thought it would and actually the heart of john candy's family becomes sort of the the, the emotional weight and it also sort of brings the brothers together at the end as well and yeah and dan Aykroyd becomes a little less arrogant not fully <laughs> but a little less uh but a yeah. lesson is learned yeah but basically like you know this this film to me it's one of those random ones from my childhood that I completely forgot about. And then when I saw it on Amazon Prime, I was like, okay, i got to watch that again. And, you it's, know, IMDb says a 6.7 out of 10. This type of film is the type of film where I think you can't rate it at all. It's just like, did it work for you, did it not? You know what I mean? I, th- I think, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I come to like these kind of movies. So I, I very recently, it's not on my list, but I very recently watched National Lampoon's Vacation for the first time. Um, and I thought it was funny. I did think it was funny. I, um but I think I also I I never had any of that interaction with this kind of like mm-hmm. Second City Chicago comedy group um, of you know like Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, uh, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. like all those guys who were like on on SNL yeah, yeah. in the in the eighties and nineties. I never really had that much exposure to them when I was a kid, apart from I guess like Blues Brothers and Spaceballs. Yeah. I think were the only ones I saw, but I never saw any of those movies, so I don't have any nostalgia for them. But I I, I do still think they're good movies though. But I don't hold like the reverence for John Candy that maybe you do because because you were watching so much of his stuff when you were a kid. Yeah, like Uncle Buck, for example, is if yeah, I've never Buck? seen Uncle Buck. No, yeah, so unbelievable. Yeah, like I I do I do have that sort of reverence for that. But uh, yeah, like I think you appreciate it as well. Like, would you agree with me that these days, like, there are a few. Of films in this style but i don't really see many like in terms of like just going on a holiday or a road trip with your family yeah those films aren't really put in the limelight like they maybe would have been back then i think there's um where's the millers where the millers is one i suppose i'm trying i'm trying to think there was um a camille nanjani movie uh that came out very recently and i cannot remember what it was called um but it was really funny that was that was on netflix um and that had I, th- I think the problem with a, a lot of modern comedies is they don't actually have like jokes in them. So the plot needs to elevate the characters into farcical situations yeah. so that they can do like the kind of improv comedy that is the, that makes up like 80% of all comedy movies these days. Yeah. Like, it, and it's, it's, it means that these kind of, like, I mean, this, this is kind of, I, I assume the great outdoors has a lot of like Set farcical comedy. physical comedy, but I, I, I think you struggle to get this now because it, it, I don't. I, what am I trying to say? I guess it just feels like you need like something like The Hangover. I know that's like a, a ten-year-old movie at this point, so it's probably not that that relevant. But but I felt I felt like that was the high watermark for a certain kind of comedy that I never really got that on board with, and it's very like starkly different to something like this, where it's all snappy delivery of actual jokes with some farcical situations thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it mainly is the, the the comedy is in the is in the script and in the performance rather than in oh look at this funny situation that these characters find themselves in. Yeah, and look at these uh, twenty different outtakes of different ways they could have said it because it's all improvisation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, definitely. Like when when you, in a strange way, an improvisation comedy can feel unoriginal, even though they're mm. making it up yeah. on the spot. The style is very, very unoriginal to me. But the, the Great Outdoors, yeah, definitely worth checking out. I think it's sort of a, a film of a, of, a, of a days gone by. Like the way, even the way back in those days, the way the films films like this were shot, like they they were almost shot like they're on a vi- home video camera with no thought put into the lighting whatsoever. It's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah, the blanket production light is the whole thing. Blanket, secondary, yeah, blanket light the whole thing, and like it's like even like these days the quality of the cameras and like and the composition that the directors now put into stuff and all 
it kind of takes away from this type of film. So even if I watch a film made like last year with the same plot and everything, I know I would prefer this one because I just think that it it's almost like it's overthought now these mm. days. You know, not 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 that you could ever really overthink a film, but you know what I mean. Like they'd be putting more thought into the. It'd be more style stylized. Whereas this is very much like, hey, let's go up to a cabin. Let's shoot shoot us. You know, making this film. It'll take five weeks to do it. Let's have fun. You know, that's how this goes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like how Adam Sandler makes movies with his mates now in the yeah. Happy Madison stuff, except except these are funny and those aren't. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The last 10 years. You know how, you know how we feel about Adam Sandler in general from the yeah. past, but um, I, I, will, I will be the first to jump in line and slag off Jack and Jill. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the the just to briefly uh, go back to it, the Lovebirds is the name of that Camille Nanjani ah, movie. It's very funny. Um, it's worth checking out. I, I it's got. I mean, talking about IMD ratings, it's got a six point one on that. I think that's a load of shit. Like, I think it's really funny. So, um, yeah, that's on Netflix. Like, I listen, think. anything like I most genres and most films, you can't really pay attention to someone else's rating on it. You know, no, especially like no what see this is the problem with this is why on my letterbox i don't use half stars and i i I try to rate things a long time after i've seen them because no one knows how to use a five star system or or even like this before a little bit i think yeah i mean like and a 10 point system even less so like everything is either a one or above a six like the the, like numbers two to five might as well not exist in a 10 point system because no one ever uses them yeah it's true and like i'll come out of a film and i'll be like yeah oh that was really cool i really like that film yeah and then my wife and i will talk we're like yeah probably six out of ten and then we go home and we tell people and we say like oh we saw a film they're like oh what do you think of it ah it was really it was good like we really really enjoyed it six out of ten and they're like what that's that means it's terrible it's like well that's three out of five stars yeah that's a three star rating like that's <laughs> it means good that's good it's a good film like <laughs> yeah. you know not you can't you can't give every film you ever see four or five stars like you know yeah. well you watch me yeah my letterbox is just like five stars five stars five stars yeah, you only half. actually review the ones you like yeah that i mean that is also true i only watch movies i like for the most part i try to avoid bad movies which maybe i should stop doing now that i'm i'm getting in on this youtube racket it's yeah. all that's where the money is the money's in 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 dunking on bad shit so next week a special on the room <laughs> yeah finally the internet gets to have its say on on this un, this underappreciated classic um but yeah that uh, that's cool though i i i i do like those movies i'm kind of discovering them later in life so like the the national lampoon's vacation and the the john candy stuff but that that sounds like a good one it's good um so okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna start the show on my side with a showstopper. Um, we have joked about this in our promotional material, but uh, to be honest, this is one of my. I'd say it's probably in my top twenty movies. That's, if I that's, was that's very that that is very uh, like high praise top twenty movies. Like think about I it. I really I think this is his best movie, uh, and that is 2006's The Prestige from Chris Nolan. I I, I think it's. It's his best movie compositionally. I think the story it's telling is really interesting. I think the performances from Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale and Michael Caine are all really strong. And um, Scarlett Hansen, even though her accent's a bit dodgy, and I can't remember the name of the actress who plays the other uh, romantic interest um, off the top of my head, but both of them are really good. Um, and it's about magicians just f- fucking with each other in really dramatic ways that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's, oh, I, I, to be honest with you, this was... Like I remember, I think the first Chris Nolan film I ever saw was probably Batman Begins. Mm. Um, and then when this came out, I was like, okay, uh, you're doing superhero films, but this is fucking yeah. unbelievable. Uh, it's about magicians. Yeah, it's about magicians. Uh, I just, I love Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman. 
is my this is like peak christian bale i think at this point as well like there was a there was like a after batman begins there was like a five-year stretch there where christian bale was was on top of the acting world i felt i feel like he's kind of he's gotten more into kind of character actor um territory as he's gotten older which is not a problem like some of his late uh his more recent stuff like ford versus ferrari is very very good in that um but but this was like peak leading man christian bale yep. he, he he can carry a film with with that charisma that he has yeah yeah i i he's he's, he's so such a, such an interesting actor i think mm. i think um I, I like the fact that Chris Nolan used him again after Batman Begins because it's in a very different role than Batman Begins, uh, yeah. who he, when he played Bruce Wayne. So I, I, I like seeing him, like you know, portray different, very different characters. I will say as well, um, in this film, like Scarlett Johansson, I think this is just before she would have, or maybe it's actually in and around the same time where she sort of blew up as like the sexiest woman alive, and she, and yeah. like and like every film she was in basically just felt like she was only hired for her looks. And I think that, that she's not in there at all. I think that I think she's moved past that phase of her career. Unfortunately, yeah. that's a phase which a lot of act- actresses go through. But mm. I think she's past that phase. But I think this film is sort of a standout moment in that era of her career, which yeah. is just a top quality performance and film. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think she she kind of um, that that kind of started with um, with Lost in Translation, I guess, mm. uh, was, was where people were like, "Oh my god, look how sexy she is!" And uh, to be honest, her performance in that is is really good um, mm. as well. But yeah, I, I know what you mean with Scarlett Johansson. She kind of needed to go and do. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I might have watched it with you actually, but she went and did a movie called like Under the Skin in 2013. No, I didn't see that. Which is a really really good film, but it's. Yeah. It's it's very very low budget. It's basically about it's set in Scotland, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's set in. It's basically yeah, about an alien who like hunts men in Scotland. It's like species if it was set in Scotland and good. Um, and it's amazing. It's a really really good film, but it's very very low budget, very indie, very. Um, the way it's presented is really interesting, and the fact that she needed to go and do a movie like that mm-hmm. to be taken seriously as an actress, which I, I think that probably did mark the point where people were like, "Oh, she actually is a yeah, really yeah. good actress." Um, she took her is... career by the scruff of the neck, and she just said, yeah. "You know what? I'm taking you where I want now. I'm not going to let these men tell me what roles I need to have." You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, would you consider this a, a talk about the Prestige? Would you consider this a Christmas movie? I do. I do, it's not really Christmas isn't really mentioned in it, but there is snow in the Montana section. Well, alternative Christmas then maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe an, yeah. An alternative Christmas movie. Um, I've never considered this. I think it maybe comes down to when you watched it for the first time. Yeah, I, th- I for some reason this is just a movie I watch most Christmases, um, and the, the the best I can do for justifying that is because there's snow. Yeah, but like it, 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 to be honest with you, like I'd watch this any day of the year. It's so so bloody good. Obviously, Michael yeah. Caine's in it. We know Chris Nolan has an aff- affinity for Michael Caine. Yeah, um, he's ka ka um, ka Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I have the right to say <laughs> it on. <laughs> he's so good. The turn. Uh, so, but yeah, it's uh, like it's just I, I don't know. If, if anyone hasn't seen this film, I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast has seen at least one Chris <laughs> Nolan film. At least one. Like, You've I'm done very seen... well if you managed to avoid watching any Chris Nolan movies. You've done really well. But this is a film which he did early enough in his career. Like, I think he did Following, then he did Insomnia, which is the only one that he didn't write as well, I think. Because he, when he, wanted, to have, he wanted to have an experience of big budget films before he yeah. went into Batman. Um, so he did Insomnia, and then he got Batman, and then he did Prestige. So this is his fourth film. I had Memento in there somewhere as well. Oh, sorry, yes. Me- sorry, Memento was his second. Yes. So Memento yeah. is what launched him. So he did Following, yeah. then Memento, then Insomnia, then Batman Begins, then Prestige. So but by Prestige, he really is into his big budget stuff by that mm. point. Um, 
And, yeah, he's uh, really cooking like creatively before he kind of. I, I mean, I, I like Chris Nolan, but I do feel like he his writing is not his strong point, um, and it got worse as he went on. But this, he was still he was firing on all cylinders at I, this point. I think yes, I think I think with Chris Nolan, the issue is that as he goes on through his, through his career. He's starting to take an interest in more, in other parts of the, the the film that aren't just the story, and because mm-hmm. he started off as such, in my opinion, in those first few films he made, such a strong writer, I think that he doesn't realize himself that that is sort of tailing away now because he's taking interest in the more sort of the IMAX camera. He's taking interest in in like in like uh, the the more sort of overall film that I think the writing in his later stuff is suffering for it. Um, yeah. Could be having said having said that, I still you know as we'll get, as we'll sure, surely talk about many times in this podcast, I have never seen a Chris Nolan film I didn't like. Uh, that is not the same for Conrad, uh, but but it is true for me. Um, but yeah, so we'll talk about the future, the future. I'm sure. My mind, the Prestige is a forgotten one that, to be honest with you, is one of his high points. And it yeah, I, I, be- I think you've got Dark Knight top of the pile, Prestige just underneath it. Like, and I think those two are brilliant brilliant movies i think we we joked about chris nolan and we, we will continue to do so because he's always fun to, to make fun of because he's kind of like the film bro's favorite director but he well, has make fun really of good that. movies yeah i'll make fun of him for that because i am pretentious i like akira kurosawa get fucked um, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but yeah he made some great movies uh there's no getting around that uh, and even his bad movies i think are still of they still have quality to them they're not without merit um i think but yeah, so that's The Prestige. And my second movie, mm-hmm. complete tonal shift, uh, is a movie I've never seen before. I don't know if you've seen this, actually, but this is... I I, I, I want to call this a Christmas movie as well, but maybe it's just because it's kind of lovey, lovey-dovey and happy. Uh, but that's 1999's Notting Hill. Um, oh, I've seen it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... It, I've never seen anything else that Roger Mitchell directed, but it's Richard Curtis who also wrote Four Weddings, so it's the, that same kind of yeah. that same kind of thing. Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts are star-crossed lovers who, whose romance could never possibly work because Julia Roberts is a famous actress whose boyfriend is a douchey uh, Alec Baldwin, as if there's any other kind of Alec Baldwin. And Hugh Grant <laughs> is a, a book owner, a bookshop owner in Notting Hill, and there's just no way the romance could work. Yeah, but uh, but. You know, we'll see. Like, does it happen? Does it not? Like, it's will they? Won't they? It's uh, horse and hound. Uh, it's just so. It's so good. Like, <laughs> it is. It's really good. I, 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 I'm a softy at heart. I love a. I love a. I love a love story. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, it's just. It's just nice. It's just a nice story. It's there's some great performances in it. You forget that Hugh Hugh Grant at one point was. I, I know he's kind of typecast. Yeah. Um, this this is but, the this is the film that when I think of Hugh Grant, if I was going to watch one Hugh Grant sort of romance comedy British comedy film, this is the one I'd watch because Over this, Four Weddings. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, okay. I, and that's just because of my upbringing. I think I, my mom yeah. liked this one better, so we watched it more. But uh, but yeah, like I, I uh, Spike, you know what a legend. Reese yeah. as the comic relief is yeah. absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. At the end, at the end, when he's like directing the traffic and all, oh, it's just yeah. so so good. It's it, there's a lot to love about this movie. I, I I had never got never got around to watching it because, to be honest, when in 1999 I would have been like 12, going on 13, and I was right smack bang in that sort of awkward teenage period. Where I was like, romances, I don't care about that. I'm gonna go listen to Limp Biscuit, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and so unfortunately, I missed out on 
this uh, I watched Love Actually fairly recently as well, um, which is definitely a Christmas movie. I was going to say Notting Hill. I guess it kind of feels like a Christmas movie. I don't think there's really anything Christmassy about it. Um, but uh, but it's nice to come back to and re- like discover these that these movies are actually good and actually hold hold up. Yeah, no, I like. I, uh, yeah, it is. It's also from a certain. It's. It, this is a bit like. Uh, I know it's about ten years after that, but it's. It, it feels to me like an era of like British cinema, which is like sort of akin to that era of the great outdoors we were talking about in American yeah. cinema. Yeah, there was like, a, there was a very specific feel. This very specific feel to these British romance romantic comedies. Like you talk about whenever you turn thirteen, fourteen, and you're sort of like you know Limp Biscuit romances are terrible. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I have to admit, like I don't know if this is like you know sings my praises or or does the opposite but i have never really been a part of a a group or or like or like I, i've never cared what people think of me right basically so yeah that's that's a that's a good quality yeah I, I've, I've never cared what people think of me like i remember when i was like 14 15 watching sleepless in seattle with my brother who was like in the gaelic team the gaelic football team and like was a big he's still a big lad but he'd still sit down and watch sleepless in seattle with me like you know yeah in our family we never really had that feeling of like oh that's that's girl stuff or which i don't believe in myself to be honest with you but or even Mm -hmm. like oh that's for chill that's for kids or or you know or i know i'm too cool for that like i don't know why we just never had that and i and i watched sleepless in seattle that's probably my favorite romance film uh yes sleepless in seattle if you haven't seen it one of tom Tom hanks Hanks and meg ryan yeah yeah tom hanks Hanks and meg ryan like they had like four or five films together at one point um very very good but uh yeah just there's just the sparks are flying in the on-screen on-screen chemistry between those two yeah, I put it this way: like I'm, I'm a foul, just like Hugh Grant. This film, I'll say whoopsie daisies, and I'll, and I'll. The difference between me and me and uh, Hugh Grant is that I won't try and hide it. I'll say whoopsie daisies, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I want to say whoopsie daisies. Don't be ashamed of your whoopsie daisies. Like that's that's what makes that's what makes you charming. <laughs> exactly. No. Uh, but yeah, and uh, you know, horse and hound of the, the magazine. That is- was really funny. That entire bit, and it had the guy from uh, from Greenwing in it, whose name I can never remember because he has a really long name. Um, but he, one of the main characters in Greenwing, and he is he is like great as the kind of slimy journalist who oh, is Julian uh, Rintut. that's yeah that's yeah. it i can never remember, remember that name um but he's very good in that as well yeah also down <laughs> apparently i'm looking here on imdb and apparently misha barton uh was in it as a, one of the the actresses in the space film helix she was a 12 year old you're Misha misha barton from the oc the- yeah, that, that, was she the one who dressed up as... Oh, no, I know exactly the one you're talking the about because child, I watched this yeah. with my partner and she said that was the one from the OC and I, I was like, oh, my God, she looks so different. Yeah, um, yeah, Misha Barton, that's her. Yeah, so yeah. that's a great chat. I love, love that you included Yeah, that was, that was that's a, that's a great, great call. But I'm glad you remembered that because that when, when I was told that while watching it, it blew my goddamn mind. Um, uh, where's she now? Oh, Misha Barton, what's she up to? Um, I don't know, like, fuck it oc working in the, working on a sequel i don't know yeah <laughs> they, they, they bring everything back don't they i would they call say it she, the og this time yeah yeah she's probably working <laughs> she's probably like she's probably doing like scarlett johansson did and working on very low budget feature uh feature films but it's yeah not in her, scotland it's not, it's not her choice you know that's, no. that's what i'd imagine no. she'd much rather be working on big uh, blockbusters yeah um but yeah so there we go that's uh my second one notting hill watch it if you haven't already it's lovely we're still technically in Christmas time-ish, so I think you can get away with with a lovely seasonal rom-com. It, well, actually, we, as we discussed, that's not a seasonal rom-com, but it's still fun. It's still <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's, Christmas is a time of year where, where even people who have uh, hang-ups about the, the genre of film they watch, they'll watch a bit of anything. So yeah, give yeah. it a go. 
Uh, right, okay, let's let's have two more of yours then, please, Anthony. Right, okay, so the first one I'm going to give you is actually two films, except it's, you'll understand why. So okay. basically, as you mentioned before, National Lampoon's Vacation, you watch it for the first time. Well, it's the Vacation films are something that, I was, again, that sort of Chicago troupe of comedians, I, I, I grew up with that. Um, I, I don't know why, maybe it's because it was on TV a fair bit in Australia, or maybe yeah. it's just because my dad was a big fan, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, basically, I finally got around to watching 2015's remake of Vacation, um, mm. starring Ed Helms, uh, Christina Applegate. Um, and to be, to be quite honest with you, if I was to give you a one-line uh, summation of this film, it's funnier than it had any right to be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Glowing. It, it, it was funny. Like, I, the first 20 minutes of this film, I was really him and han and thinking this is not good this is terrible and i think in the at the end i would still say it's not good but um but they i'm it passed the five laugh test like this, okay it, it passed the five laugh test there were some really really funny moments which i was not expecting for example all right so i'm going to spoil a couple of jokes here for you but still it, like there's, so, there's other ones in the film that you'll get you'll get a chuckle out of just to show you the type of comedy that it has which i was not expecting mm. In the original Vacation, uh, there is a current a, a common theme throughout most of the Vacation films that there is an attractive woman who turns Chevy Chase's head yeah. while a lot of the time while they're driving really fast down a motorway, right? <laughs> yeah. So like he looks to the side and like it's like a and there's a woman in in the in a red like convertible blonde a blonde woman like sort of giving him the eyes. You know? Yeah, some eighties rock starts playing as he's yeah. as he's looking at her. It's like, uh, that that seems to be. And in both the, the in both films, there is the same theme of like they're sitting next to a very beautiful wife, but their head is still turned by this other woman, mm-hmm. and uh, they're driving down right now. In the original, this happens to Chevy Chase two or three times throughout the film. Yeah, this is what's really funny to me is that. In this one, it happens, right? Now I am gonna ruin I am gonna ruin this joke for you, right? I yeah. am gonna ruin it to you. But just this you might not watch the film without actually knowing a couple of good jokes in it, right? Because you know, why would you watch this? But uh, basically they're driving down the road, Ed Helms looks around to the side and he sees a woman in a convertible, red convertible, just like the original, and he's like, Oh my god, ooh, fancy a bit of that. And then he looks he has to like recorrect the car or whatever, he looks away for a second, and the woman gets hit by a lorry. Like a tr- a full semi semi truck just okay. smashes into her, right? And then he just looks back and she's gone, and he has no idea where she went. <laughs> and it's sort of like that. I wasn't expecting that to be honest with you. Yeah. I thought they were going to milk that joke. The it's whole quite time. a meta joke. It's quite a meta joke. There's a few there's a few moments of meta. A couple of them I appreciated. A couple of them I didn't. Another joke, which is the other joke I'll tell you. I won't, won't tell you too many jokes. Another one which is really really good. It shows you how sort of. The way that the film was made is is a bit unexpected in, in terms of what you would expect from this. There was a guy, a local guy, where they go they're going to like hot springs and they wanted to skip the line. So they asked this local guy, they say, Hey, how do you get to the hot springs? But um but I don't want to wait in this line. Is there a place the locals go, like a back road? And the and this guy like gives them like two minutes of an explanation of where to go. He's like, Yeah, you go up that that dirt road, right? But the whole time he's speaking, he's got a rat sitting on his shoulder. Right? Right. And at the end of this two minute uh thing of, of him explaining where they go ed helms goes um yeah so uh oh thanks very much what's your what's your pet rat's name and the guy's like pet rat what ah and he's got a rat on his shoulder and he smacks it off 
<laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's good. That, that's a good joke. Uh, so there was, right. there was at least five more of them in the film. You got your five it, laughs. Which made it worth watching. But yeah, uh, but yeah I, I will say, like, the setup for the film is that uh, basically this is Rusty Griswold, who is the son of... Oh, okay. Uh, is the son of uh, of Clark Griswold from? Yeah, we're staying with the with the clan Griswold. For, yeah, the clan Griswold. So this is Rusty Griswold. Um, now I will say I didn't. <laughs> it's a bit shallow to say this, but I was like, but Ed Helms isn't ginger because <laughs> Rusty is ginger, right? That's why he's called Rusty. But basically, it's a recessive gene. Like we we don't maybe he lost it. Yeah, he lost it eventually. Like, but uh, I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But. But I got over that very quickly. But uh, <laughs> good, yeah, I, I, got, I got over, I got over it. But uh, that was yeah. Anthony Michael Hall. I've just remembered in that original movie, mm. like the guy, the guy from the Breakfast Club, and yeah. also, which I I completely forgotten he was in that movie, uh, despite the fact I saw it like a month ago for the first time. But yeah, in the original, yeah. So uh, what I did was I, after watching this film, I went straight and watched the original. Um, yeah. and uh, the original is is just much higher quality. Um. I, I think perhaps they were justified in making this film based on it making me laugh five times. Would I have went? To, I'm glad I didn't go to see it in the cinema. I'll say that. Um, yeah. You know, this it is... takes some balls to remake a movie that Harold Ramis directed and John Hughes wrote. To be honest, like if you if you think your movie is going to be as funny as that, you you've got some balls to to, to attempt it. So I'll give them that they had they were ambitious. Yeah, and I will say as well, like we talked about earlier about like the idea of like this like improvisational comedy being the thing these days. This wasn't that. They did try and stick to the to the sort of old fashioned way of making dad jokes. Yeah, like dad jokes. That's that's what they did yeah. stick to. And there's there's some great dynamics. Like there's a whole thing where they tried. Like, it didn't really sit well with me this one, but they broke the fourth wall at the start in a bit of a meta way. Where like uh, they're talking about like because they're going to Wally World, which is the same place they went to in the in the first vacation. And yeah. basically, Ed Helms' character, Rusty, is like um, saying, no, this is going to be a way different vacation than the first one, right? Because, uh, like, what's different? Like, this is way different. Like, we've got two sons. In the first one, there was a boy and a girl, you know? So yeah. it's like breaking the fourth wall like that. I didn't really appreciate that, but it's funny. Like, five minutes before that, I did say to say to Ema, it's like, interesting. So the only way this film has changed in 30 years is that they've changed the son and daughter to be two sons, that's nice. quite retro yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's retrogressive like that's not really bringing it into the 21st no. century like no um but yeah no no it's it's it's, it's worth watching now i will say as well the, the directors of this john francis daly and jonathan goldstein they seem to be uh a, a director partnership because they, they do a few films together and what yeah. i found interesting was in now i've been paying particular attention to this particular um production because uh, it's Dungeons, a Dungeons and Dragons film coming out in, into the 2022, and the reason I'm paying particular particular attention to it is because it's actually filming in Belfast. Um, and if we hadn't had just had a child, my wife Emma would probably have been working on it. Uh, so that would have been interesting. But you know, it, it is what it is. You can't get on everything. But um, basically, the reason why I find it interesting is because these two directors are actually directing Dungeons and Dragons. Now, before I I realized this, in my mind. Dungeons and Dragons was going to be a bit like the Warcraft film was a few years ago, in that it was going to be like just a fantasy. It's going to be bad. That's <laughs> what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> we're not going to get into Warcraft, but the editing let it down. Let's just say that. But uh, ba- basically, um, I think I uh, what a strange choice. What a strange choice for that director, David Bowie's I mean, son, Duncan Jones. 
what's what a strange choice to go do warcraft next after doing source code after doing moon oh moon. my god okay well, yeah. we'll not get into it but that was weird that choice um anyway so basically these two these two directors are doing D, and i so i thought to myself that's so strange to me that they're doing that because i assumed it was going to be like a fantasy just a fantasy film now it makes me think that D is going to be like a comedy where like people go into the game like jumanji style into D, and i think that yeah. might fit with these directors a bit more well i mean the last one had one of the wayans brothers in it so there's there's form for people making shitty dungeons and dragons movies that completely miss the let's be honest quite dry tone of the dungeons and dragons source material or some of the dungeons and dragons source material but it'll be interesting to see what they do with it maybe they'll surprise me yeah. would you a good fantasy film at some point i'm trying to remember the last one we got i i most can't of, think of most any. of the good fantasy these days is on tv isn't it yeah like the witcher series is pretty good yeah. um the but stunt, yeah we're talking about stunt the stunts in witcher is really good yeah yeah um cool okay so was that your was that your two that was my one. Oh, that was your one okay go on hit me with hit me with your uh hit with your next one well i'm gonna hit you with my best shot um yeah that's gonna be unfortunately we haven't finished christmas yet guys <laughs> it's gonna be the muppet christmas carol uh excellent directed by brian henson brian henson of oh. course jim henson's son uh brian henson this is actually his first uh film that he ever directed which is is so his directorial debut. Yeah, couldn't get better in my opinion for a directorial no. debut. Uh, what do you think of the Muppet Christmas Carol? Um, I think I I know this is probably sacrilege to people who have seen some of the older ones, but I think this is the definitive version of uh, a Christmas Carol as a story on film. To be honest, like because it still has the heart of, of the of the original. It's still you know telling the original story, and and Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge is 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 grounding everything. Michael but then he's surrounded uh, Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> he doesn't really have much of an accent in this. Like he's sort of. He's it, got his own. Yeah. Yeah, he's just got like his actual actor accent rather than the sort of fake Cockney he does sometimes. Um, but yeah, it, I think this is a great movie. I love, I love um, everything about it, and I, I watched it myself probably, probably a month ago, like at the beginning of December, uh, when I started doing my Odyssey of Christmas films. Yeah, like you know, just if anyone hasn't seen it, basically it is just the story of a Christmas Carol where yeah. Ebenezer Scrooge is like, I'm sure you know the term Scrooge. You know, it's sort of become in the zeitgeist yeah. of humanity, um, and it basically just means he isn't into the spirit of christmas he's basically not into the spirit of every anything and uh it's basically a story which chronicles his journey through to realizing that uh that he should actually be kinder to people uh, yeah embrace the spirit of christmas yeah yeah he embraces the spirit of christmas uh which is actually just the spirit of humanity and uh i will say it's it's interesting i watched this film with a a friend of mine who'd never seen she'd never seen uh (laughs) christmas carol and uh it was funny. The first thing she said was, "Oh my god, I didn't. I, I completely forgot or didn't realize that uh, there's humans in the Muppets films." Yeah, occasionally. Okay, yeah, yeah, occasionally. So, uh, and that's one. The one thing that's really interesting is because Michael Caine plays this straight, straight, yeah. straight as an arrow. You would doesn't, never think, doesn't acknowledge that there's a Muppet in the movie at any point. Yeah, if you if you just completely blacked out the rest of the screen and just left Michael Caine there and just watched that, you would assume that this was an all human version. Yeah, I, th- I mean there are some like anthropomorphized Muppets, um, as um, 
as we've discussed previously, um, my my two favorite characters in this are uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present, who is basically a human. He's a guy who like is enormous and uh, pokes his head through doors and says, "Come on in and know me better, man." Yeah. Uh, that he's guy ba- rules. He's basically a precursor to Hagrid, that man. Yeah, he is sort of a proto Hagrid, but yeah. he's also he is a human Muppet, which is always yeah. you're you're playing with fire when you make the Muppets human because <laughs> you're getting into the maybe getting into the uncanny valley there a little bit actually. <laughs> They look too lifelike. But then on the other side of that, you have Sam the Eagle as uh, as um, Scrooge's headmaster at school, uh, who has some absolutely great lines. Yeah, oh, he has he has some great ones. I, I would say like just if you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, mm. Michael Caine is fantastic in it. Obviously, all the Muppets are great in it. Uh, Charles Dickens is great in it himself. Gonzo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Rizzo the Rat as a foil. Yeah. Rizzo is one of my favorite Muppets. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but definitely worth checking out, guys. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because if you've, if you've seen it, you've heard a million people talking about it. And if you haven't seen it, you know, what are you going to listen to? You just go go and watch it, basically. The music yeah. in it is amazing, too. Just like you, you'll listen to the music the rest of your life. It's amazing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Okay. So I'm going to keep things in the in the in the festive yule yule house the festive wheelhouse was what i meant to say there but i, the yule I started house works yule, the yule house yeah um the festive wheelhouse here um with 1984's gremlins by joe dante who also did the sequel and small soldiers too um, have you ever seen this movie no i've never seen it I, seen I, I saw i was at my auntie's house when i was about seven or eight and it was on so i probably did watch it but i just can't remember yeah. it at all Oh, it's it's a it's a really fun movie. It's not it's not perfect. Uh, I think nostalgia gets you a lot of the way with this one, but the the creature effects are amazing. Gizmo as as the as the I knew Gizmo. Uh, yeah, I knew the name as as the central Mogwai is adorable, and the actors that like play off of him. So Corey Feldman is in this movie as a as a he's probably like thirteen or something in it. He is great. Um, and uh, there's a guy, the guy who plays the main character's dad uh, is this actor called Hoyt Axton, who's basically like the shitty inventor who comes up with the terrible, terrible inventions that will never make the family any money. Although That's somehow a real they... 80s trope. That's a real yeah, 80s trope. Yeah, it is. Trope. It is a real 80s trope, that. But but somehow they still manage to live in like this sort of palatial Hamptons suburban house, despite <laughs> none of them having jobs apart from the son. Um, but he's the, great. Even the Rugrats buys into that trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like having a having a dad who's like a failed inventor is a <laughs> is a textbook uh, family <laughs> film trope. Uh, I feel like I, I guess like Flubber is like that's Flubber. the case. Yeah. <laughs> Although he ends up making a really good invention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Gremlins is a great movie. It's 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 almost uh, it's almost a horror. I guess it is horror at points because it it, it does get quite dark mm-hmm. um, in some of the stuff that it talks about. I won't give anything away, um, but there are a lot of a lot of characters die. But it's kind of horror in the same way that something like oh, I'm trying to think what to compare it to really. The people who are dying are mainly bad guys, so you're okay. kind of on the side of the gremlins until until the main characters come up against them. But it's great fun. It has a brilliant score. Um, it's got some really good performances. It's just a, it's a cracking Christmas movie, and the sequel is pretty good too. And that's also Joe Dante, although he didn't want to make that movie. So basically, when the when the um, I can't remember who who actually put this out, but they came to him and said Gremlins was a financial success. We want you to make another one, and he said no. And then the production company said, well, what if we let you do whatever you want? with it and he said okay and then he just completely like just went nuts with it and was like oh we're gonna have a gremlin that's made of electricity in this one (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so gremlins if you haven't seen it and you're still in the mood for a christmas movie check it out it's fantastic um interesting i will note i said i just noticed they're looking at it here chris columbus is the writer Um, yes yeah chris columbus of course probably most famous for directing harry potter 
uh, one and two. Yep. Um, he also, interestingly here, it says here that he is currently producing Gremlins 3. Yeah, I don't... It's one of those, like, Back to the Future 4 kind of things where I wonder whether we'll ever see that. Apparently it's been announced. Uh, also, uh, he's also uh, being given credit for coming up with the characters for, apparently, a new Goonies 2. Yeah. Yeah. Hope, I hope not. <laughs> If you go, if you actually go back to the Goonies, take your nostalgia glasses. Like I liked the Goonies a lot when I was a kid. I'm just going to say that now. If you go back to that movie now, take the nostalgia glasses off and actually watch that movie. It is not a good film. It's not good. It's it's just you know it's it's a kids movie and that's fine. It's a it's a fun kids movie. I would show it to my kids, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot when I was a child. But there's no need for a sequel. We can make no. new things. True. We don't need it. We don't need a Goonies too. Yeah. Um, um, also, just talking about Chris Columbus, I've literally just went into his filmography here, and there's a whole load of films from my childhood that he directed that I didn't. Realize. Yeah, yeah. Chris Columbus was was on a tear in the 80s and 90s. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yep. Nine months. Have you seen that? Another Hugh Grant. Oh, I've never seen Nine oh, Months. Great, great one. Great. I I saw a lot of Hugh Grant and stuff because my mom loved it. But uh, yeah. Also, great little gem. Little gem here. Bicentennial Man. Oh, man, that movie sucks so bad. <laughs> I watched that. My, my my partner really likes that movie, and we watched it. Um, probably it's got, wee, it's got the wee water zoo factor. Oh my god, that movie! The balls on that movie to be as long as it is, <laughs> like it's. And then like he falls in love with the great granddaughter of the woman that he fell in love with because she looks exactly the same, and they never address it. They're just like, oh, you're basically the same as your great grandmother who I loved. It's ah, uh, it's basically I, it's basically the uh, it's also Hook does that too. Where, yes, yeah, where it he does. Falls in love with the granddaughter of. Um, well, like, uh, yeah, Hook has Wendy. the good grace to not last like three hours. Of, <laughs> you know, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Listen, that is his Spartacus. That is Chris Columbus's stamp on the yeah. world. This is who yeah. I am. I want to say before we move on from Chris Columbus here, we move on after I say this, but uh, he's also in pre-production. He's going to direct a Five Nights at Freddy's film. Oh, finally. I mean, well, uh, who knows? That that could be good. I don't know. Five Nights at Freddy's is something that has just completely passed me by in the gaming landscape. I know there's a lot of them. I know they made a lot of money. Yeah. Someone was always going to make a movie of that, and maybe it'll be a good horror movie. Who knows? Who knows? Um, who knows? But yeah, so so moving on to my my second one then, and this is, it's it's pretty similar to Gremlins. It's not at all. Um, <laughs> This is 2020's Extraction. Um, it's a directorial debut, debris, debut for Sam Hargrave. Um, and he is basically a former stuntman uh, who did stunts on Marvel movies, Atomic Blonde, um, and a couple of other bits and pieces. And he's had a very similar career path to Chad Stahelski, who directed uh, John Wick, um, and who was also a stuntman for Keanu Reeves um, in the 90s. And I, there's no reason why anyone would know this, but for me... Um, my favorite kind of era of action cinema was in Hong Kong in the late eighties and early nineties with uh, Jackie Chan and John Woo films. Um, and that, the reason I like that so much is because with Jackie Chan films in particular, there was a way of shooting him that we never really saw in the West, which was basically the director saying, which sometimes actually was uh, Jackie Chan or, or often was, was like someone like Sammo Hung will be like, Jackie Chan is an amazing martial artist. So we're going to shoot you in a wide angle, well-lit shot, and we're just going to let your choreography and your martial arts and your stunt work carry the scene because we yeah. know you can do it. Um, 
And he kind of lost that a little bit when he came to the West because A, it takes ages to shoot that way and uh, because you need to choreograph and then perform the entire scene. Yeah. Um, and it's expensive to do that. So what, what most Western movies do instead is they shoot everything in quite close up. They cut on the on the hits. Um, they, they color grade everything blue and basically do their best to hide the fact that the actors can't actually fight. So that that was like, a lot of action cinema for in, in, in Hollywood for about 20 years looks pretty much exactly the same way with the exception of some stuff that John Woo made and a couple of other uh, directors. But then along came Chad Stahelski and John Wick in 2014 and they said, hey, Keanu Reeves is going to spend six months learning how to reload a gun and, and shoot it and look like a badass. And John Wick was the result and it's very, very heavily influenced by that. Should I watch it? Have you not seen John Wick? No. Oh, you should see John Wick. John Wick is a very good movie. Like it's it's. Right. Um, I'm gonna look out for, for that. I need to watch it. But it's it's yeah. It's these like kind of like loving wide angle long takes that that just show you Keanu Reeves, show you the work Keanu Reeves and the other actors have done to learn the choreography and make it look great. And uh, 2020's Extraction is basically the same kind of thing. It's, it's Chris Hemsworth plays a mercenary who is hired to rescue the kidnapped son of a crime lord in India. Um, I think it's in Mumbai, but I can't actually remember to be honest. But um, as as luck would have it, there is a betrayal and Chris Hemsworth is left alone in Mumbai with this child, with every gangster and corrupt cop in the city out to get him. And it has these amazing action set pieces. I think um, the, the story it's telling of, you know, this hardened mercenary who has to soften a bit to, to look after this child. And we find out through the film why he has this, these hard edges around children. Um, that's quite, you know, it's quite stereotypical. It's not telling a new story, but the performances are good and the, the action set pieces are amazing. They're well worth checking out. Yeah, okay. Well, I think I think this this is a genre of cinema which you're very into. Yeah. Action films, basically. And yeah. it is kind of a genre of cinema which I have let pass me by, as you can see by the fact that I haven't seen John Wick. Like, I am aware <laughs> that, yeah. John, that John Wick films are really, really popular and they are really, really good, apparently. Um, yeah. And they and they bring they they sort of they're very gritty and like sort of I don't know how you would describe it like but uh, visceral like very violent yeah. yeah very yeah violent uh, I, like I, I'm aware of that and I've always intended to watch them but for some reason I don't know why this is a genre that I that when I'm thinking about what to I'm more I like I think action and comedy uh, like sort of are in the same spot in people's head when you sort of really want to just watch a film and just and just really enjoy it and not really think too hard about it. My yeah. head would always tip towards a comedy. I think your head would always tip towards an action film. Yeah, I think that's true. I, but I mean, I think also with a lot of action movies, and I'm not I'm not saying this to like talk shit about about superhero movies, but a lot of them look very very similar. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so a lot of the Marvel movies, they they do feel generic probably isn't the right word because some of them are really good and generic implies a kind of average quality to them yeah. but i i'm a sucker for nice photography things being presented in a nice way and i, I you know i do i do value story and acting as well but if something looks nice mm -hmm. that is enough to get me on board and john wick and to a lesser extent uh, extraction uh, uh, totally tick the box for that so john wick the first one is brilliantly presented it's a really simple story and it looks amazing extraction doesn't look quite as nice because it's got that thing that some movies that's set in the middle east or or, or or india do where they kind of just color grade everything yellow so that your mind interpret it as hot yeah, which is yeah. kind of lazy 
but the action set pieces are amazing. So I think your enjoyment of the movie will hinge on how much leeway you're prepared to give a movie um, when the, the scenes in between the action set pieces are just kind of spinning plates until we get to the next one. But when your action set pieces include Chris Hemsworth absolutely annihilating a group, a group of uh, Indian street children, you're, you're, you're onto something good. So this, this is worth checking out if you're, uh, if you're in the mood for that. Could we, just, could we just, like, so people don't hate you too much, it wouldn't matter what race those children are. As long as children no. are getting killed, you're happy. No, it's not. It's not. It's not a racial thing. It's just Chris. Chris Hemsworth obliterating a group of children <laughs> by like kicking them into cars. And stuff. <laughs> Listen, those children started the fight. All right, I'm on Chris Hemsworth's side on this. Um, but yeah, well worth checking out um, if you haven't already. It's on Netflix, I think. So um, hopefully, it's on on international versions of Netflix too. Yeah, um, I will say as well. Like, I'm really interested in that idea of you talking about like the films which sort of let the action speak for itself, and this and the stunt choreography is is designed in a way where it's one long sort of wide take which lets the actors go to work. And yeah. I'm interested in how that affects the casting of the films because like mm. I was watching all the special features to Tenet, which uh, I mentioned last week that I watched, and um, and like the, the, there was a big aspect of that they're talking about John David Washington, who used to, apparently used to be a professional football player. Okay. And uh, because of that, they knew when they cast him, he would have the physicality necessary to do these things. And they did that, and they, they for weeks practiced the fight scenes. So it, yeah. was, it wasn't just like, okay, we'll shoot this here. Can you punch? Okay, that's done. We'll do it from around this way now. You kick. Okay, that's it. It was very much learning it. And there was yeah. a particular scene where, you know, not trying to be as, as spoiler-free as possible here, he was fighting someone who wasn't necessarily moving in the same direction of time as him. <laughs> right and uh he needed to learn the fight a load of different ways and there was a really cool moment and like this actually gives me a bit of uh we've, we've met, talk, talked about chris nolan a lot but obviously when you talk about chris nolan film, you have to talk about chris nolan he gives a lot of faith to the people he puts in charge of the departments that he has like he wants people to have real ownership over their part of the film but whenever he was first explaining to the stunt coordinator the film it's absolutely hilarious because like there's okay so there's a guy going back in time fighting a guy going forward in time basically okay, right nice and like that sounds hard to choreograph to be honest yeah yeah so but chris nolan said right so this is what i think you should do this is what he said to the stunt coordinator on the first day he goes, i think you should like choreograph a scene film it the whole way through then watch it backwards uh and then get get what get the one of the guys to learn it backwards fully right so you learn it backwards and then you get another guy to come in and fight against that guy who's doing the other thing backwards. And then you film that, and then you play the whole thing in reverse, and there's your, there's your fight scene. That's what, Chris, that's what Chris Nolan said to him on the first day. And he's just like, uh, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it, that, that seems like a nightmare to choreograph, frankly. Oh, it was so good. Like, um, okay, so yeah, I, I, I'm, this is another film which I need to add to my watch list because this extraction yep. sounds great. Check it out. Um, but yeah, okay, so we're, we're on to our last, um, our last two now. Yeah. So do you want to head us off? Yeah, so I'm sure most people will check this out at some point. Um, if you've got Disney+, Plus, I think you probably definitely will because there's not very many times that they, they release uh, full sort of theatrical releases that would usually be theatrical releases onto Disney+. Plus, and that is... Pixar's Soul. Yes, I've had a lot of people talking about this this week. Yeah, um, it's it's basically it's by Pete Doctor, um, who you might recognise from Up 
Inside Out and Monsters Inc. So he does mm-hmm. he does a lot of maybe Up is the exception, but he does a lot of uh, the uh, conceptual sort of existential ones where like the idea of monster in the closet for monsters inc the idea of like you know how you form your personality and your feelings in inside out yeah um well actually inside it was the feelings whereas now this one is sort of thinking more about your personality uh, and like yeah. sort of before you come to earth your soul creating your personality and then coming to earth and there's a whole really interesting conceptual discussion throughout the film whether or not you know, you're preordained with your talents and preordained with your purpose in life before you're born. And that's a whole discussion. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, say where the film concludes on that point. It doesn't mean, like, just because the film concludes there doesn't mean you have to conclude the same point, but yeah. that, that's, the, that's the discussion. But basically, uh, it's a story about a character called Joe who's played by uh, Jamie Foxx. And uh, the setup of the film is that Joe is a teacher of music who feels like his, pa- his life has sort of passed him by a bit. He always okay. wanted to be a professional uh, jazz uh, blues musician, and uh, he never really got his full full chance uh, in his in his eyes. Whereas, unfort- uh, when he gets given a permanent job in the school, and it makes him think, should I pursue my teaching career, or should I pursue just go full bore and pursue my uh, my other career in the in the music in the music uh, world? Now he's lucky because a, a former student of his actually contacts him that same day, as fate would have it, uh, <laughs> and uh, and says here. Dorothea Williams, who is a really, really big uh, blues artist, says, "Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Dorothea Williams is is down here. Come on down, Joe. We need we need a piano player. Uh, show her what you got." And uh, he does. It goes well. He gets the job. And then while he's running running away uh, back to back home or whatever, celebrating, he falls down a manhole and dies. And that's the end of the movie. That's that's the end. After five minutes, that's the end. So that's the setup to the movie. He then goes to this the, the great world before. Well, he's mm. su- a really cool part where he's supposed to tra- travel into the great b- great beyond, but he sort of refuses to do so. And then there's like uh, a character uh, called Terry, who's played by Rachel House, who is the grandma, I believe, from uh, Moana. And, oh, okay. Uh, and 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 Terry uh, is like the, the the accountant who counts how many souls, you know. And the whole time Terry's going around going, "There's one missing. There's one missing." It's really <laughs> it's really good. Um, but yeah, so basically, while in the uh in the before world or after world whatever you want to call it he gets given the task of mentoring uh, a character called 22 soul number 22 <laughs> okay and and that is played uh, played by Tina Fey and uh and basically this this soul number 22 has been uh has been mentored by all the greats of the past Abraham Lincoln like Gandhi they've all tried <laughs> they've, they've all tried to mentor this uh this soul to no avail uh okay nice so we can all kind of see where that's going but uh yeah uh big shout out before we sort of get into a bit more big shout out to Graham Norton yeah I couldn't believe when you told me that he was in this I do not remember him being in anything he was in the um the uh, Eurovision uh saga of no, hold on. The story of Fire Saga, or whatever it was called, this year. But that, he was playing himself. I, I haven't seen him in anything else dramatically. I don't think. Yeah, well, dramatically, no. He is in Father Ted, which is great. He's a, he's a priest yeah. in Father Ted, uh, Father Tony. But uh, <laughs> so I would check that out in Father Ted. But basically, he plays like a hippie pirate guy who like sort of can commune with the afterlife through getting in the zone by twirling his sign outside yeah. outside a shop, um, and it's. Yeah, it's, you know, it's 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 a fun it's a fun Pixar film that hits you right at the right the right chord. Mm. Like we've we've talked, Conrad and I have talked before about the idea that Pixar films know exactly which buttons to press yeah. to get in them. They're like the X factor of films. You know, 
much yeah. better quality than Xbox. Though. But they they know which buttons to press, and this they've one got def- the formula. They've got the formula there. They know they know what to do. I will say though, um, when I watched Coco, when I watched Onward. Now, Onward, I've mentioned before how that is a film that was created to make me cry. Just me. I yeah. think they, they had me when they were thinking of me. Yeah, they, they, they modeled it on, on your emotional response. Yeah, they, they modeled it on me. It's perfectly analogous, analogous to my life, uh, although I'm not a wizard. Uh, also, um, that's what a wizard would say. Yeah, it's true. Maybe. I just haven't, been, I just haven't <laughs> found the staff my dad left me yet. But uh, yeah. basically, all these films, I always kind of can predict where the formula is going to take us. In this one, I, I'm going to say I didn't actually predict. I, I predict. I predicted wrong. Um, so okay. I'm, interested, I'm interested to see uh, what you think of this film if you watch it, and I'll tell oh, you yeah. what I predicted. And I think what I predict is going to make 100% sense to you. It's just the the way that the film went is slightly different to what I thought. But anyway, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I've heard a lot of really positive things about it. And and to be honest, you know, talking about Pixar movies or Disney Pixar movies following a formula, I think there's a there's a risk that that makes it sound like they're rotes and you know really formulaic but i mean every single one of them has a, like and, and particularly the is it pete pete doctor you said the guy's yeah, name yeah, yeah. is so like up and inside out and monsters inc and now this is a pretty pretty fucking good list of okay. movies, <laughs> yeah. to be honest that's like a that's the, some heavy hitters in the pixar um a canon there that he's that he's contributed or well directly created and i think the fact that they're all able to hit that kind of emotional formula to, to get that response from people like up in particular for me first 15 minutes of up i will cry my eyes out and then later on when there's uh when he's looking back through the photo album and and finds a certain something that and, and it's easy to say oh they've got this formula and they follow it, and they to a certain extent they do. But there's so much stuff that tries to do it and fails yeah. that I, I think Pixar deserve all the credit in the world for how consistently they are able to nail what they're going for. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, but I will I will just say I forgot. It's, it's also co-directed by Kemp Powers, who okay, it's his first experience of directing. He's been a writer before on various things, um, but he he wrote it with Pete Doctor, and and I think. I think that this is something Pixar does very well. And you could say that this is very corporation, you know, Dick Disney Corporation attempting to be, uh, to be more PC. I'm sure you could say that. But at the end of the day, they brought a, a, a black voice into the creation of this film that is very much around the black blues jazz world. Yeah. And they did the same thing uh, with Coco uh, in terms of bringing in the Hispanic voice. So I think, I, I think that's... Call it it's better you... to have that than not i would say <laughs> yeah like... like, it, it, it makes it more authentic in small ways that we probably as people who are outside of that culture don't realize yeah you know? like, i think i, I think it, it's easy to kind of i don't know like I, I can see some people like rolling their eyes with that kind of stuff and being like well does it really make a difference like well i mean it makes it it's better to have it yeah. <laughs> you know it's 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 you're not going to lose anything by having you know the voice of people who are perhaps closer related to that to the, to the scene it's depicting than, than than others yeah exactly and i'm all i'm all for it to be honest with you uh, yeah. right what's your last one um so my last one is three movies we're not gonna spend too long on it because these are some of my favorite movies ever and i'm <laughs> sure we will talk about these over oh, and over do again a special on just them like to be honest yeah um and that is peter jackson's lord of the rings trilogy i watched all three of these on christmas day uh so that was a solid nine hours of of films that i watched on christmas day i love these movies uh i think they're 
photography is fantastic the performances are fantastic and the the last talking about things that make make you cry the last sort of half hour of return of the king where it's just ending after ending after ending and every single one of them is just this catharsis uh, of this release after nine hours of watching these characters struggle and struggle and finally make it it just has me crying like a baby every time but i i love the lord of the rings films so much for frodo uh, basically, the other day, for some reason, I don't know why, I was doing my best George the Fifth impression. I was like, uh, but I was doing George the Fifth, as in who? Who the hell's George the Fifth? Isn't he, uh, you know, Colin Firth's character in in? Uh, oh, okay, actually, King's the real, speech. the real yeah. George the Fifth, right? Okay, I yeah, thought this so, was like a celebrity. I didn't know. Well, he's about. more like George the Fifth, or like just any, a radio producer from okay. back then. Because the other day, for some reason, I was doing this uh, George the Fifth voice. Hello, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and talking through like a crackly microphone. Like, but you know, when you're just doing a voice, you need to reach for something to actually yeah. say. So for yeah. some reason, I just reached for Aragorn's speech, and I was like, uh, "It is not this day. This day, we fight <laughs> for Frodo. <laughs> a day of Shattershield." <laughs> we, we should do like a we should do a dub of that whole film. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot carry the ring for you, Frodo, but I can carry you. That's my. I'm doing a really nasal thing to try and get the radio. Effect. Oh no, you don't. No, it sounded great. It's really sounds great. Good. Okay, well maybe maybe that'll be a bonus episode. But yeah. <laughs> hey, we'll do that <laughs> once we get to episode 100. We'll do a full uh, a full episode just on the Lord of the Rings, and we'll do the whole thing in George the Fifth voices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to start, though. It is yeah. not 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 this day. <laughs> this is the, the day we fight. No, no offense to anyone. That is actually an impression of George V. Like I, my brother had a stutter. I am very, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that call. Dodge out of the way of that bullet. Nice yeah. <laughs> my brother actually did have a, a stutter actually, and and he, uh, we, he used to have a chart on the fridge when he was like four or five. That um, it was really strange. It was like a stick figure that had really like straight lines. That was called Mister Smooth. And whenever he was uh like speaking very well that that would be the face the part that was turned out to the house but whenever okay. he was stuttering a lot you would turn it around and it would be all wavy lines and you called him oh, okay. mr bumpy now obviously the speech therapist wanted us to do that it's thinking about that now i'm like is that that helpful that like 90s speech therapy i don't know how much it's come on since then but that's basically <laughs> that was that's interesting though yeah, yeah. Anyway, there we go. Yeah, but, but yeah, Lord of the Rings, amazing. I, I don't yeah. think we need to say that much about these. They, they are. I, I think this is a perfect trilogy. It, it, like I, I also watched recently, having never seen them before, the entire Harry Potter um, series of movies, and I, I'm not talking shit about them. Some of those are, are good movies. Third but one. There's a lot. The third one's really good. The last last two are pretty good as well. Ones, there's some. Yeah. There are some bad ones in there though. Yeah. And I think when you look at how well they land the plane on Lord of the Rings. And then you compare it to the kind of end of Harry Potter. It's it's night and day. I think they're they're, they're just they, this this could have got. And you can look at the Hobbit as well. Like look at how badly this could have gone. And then you look at this, and it's it is literally a miracle that these films turned out as well as they did. Uh, and I cherish them so much. I think they they are probably the best fantasy films I've ever seen. Um, and I, I think they'll it'll take some take some beating to knock them off the top spot. I, I think you're right there, and I like I Jesus, come on! Like these are just amazing. Like I've seen them multiple, multiple, multiple times. I think um, you know me, we bought a zoo fan. I think that uh, the stuff in the Hobbit at the start is definitely the best of the whole series. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
definitely definite wee bottle zoo factor happening there. Yeah. Um, Do you not think there's a wee bottle zoo factor in the opening of opening in the Shire in Fellowship of the Ring? Are you talking about I'm the saying. Hobbit? That's, that's oh, I think it's talking about the opening of the Hobbit. Okay, no, yeah, no, no, sure. No, the, the Hobbit. Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm not sure how I feel about the Hobbit films. Def, I, I, I lean towards not liking them. If I'm oh yeah, a strong wee bottle zoo factor in the opening in the Shire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, also, a little bit when we get to Rohan. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, not 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 as much as the Shire and Rivendell as well. Like the yeah. elves have a have a strong wee bottle zoo energy. I will say as well, it's mental that the Return of the King landed the ending so well because they had about yeah. twelve endings. Yeah, that, yeah. But I mean, everyone always makes that joke. But when you have that, when all of your endings are that good, like put yeah. them all in. I don't give a shit. Pop like, yeah. literally, like it's it's like okay, Sam and Frodo crying on the rock as they're about to die. I'm already gone at that point. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then and then the eagles come and save them, and it's Frodo waking up and everyone coming hugging him in a bed. And I go again, and then it cuts to the, the fucking like the the procession on the top of um on the top of Minas Tirith, where like they're crown or they're crown or the ceremony rather, they're crowning um Aragorn king, and they do the my friends you bow to no one thing and everyone yeah. bows and i go again and then they do going to fucking valinor at the end and it's like oh i just can't like i, I was a mess by the end of it i always am but oh. what about the little uh what about the the, the hobbit who's like <laughs> yeah the, the frowny hobbit yeah. a great callback to the to the sort of first 20 minutes of the first movie i know but calling like, back I was... to things from two films before it's... yeah it's great i love it um, they're perfect i love these movies so had much your, had your partner seen these films before uh i think she had but um but she'd never seen them with someone as enthusiastic about them uh, as me so i was like yeah i was like sitting there uh, being like a wizard is never like master frodo and, like basically like voicing along all the lines and she he, was just he, sitting... he arrives precisely when he means to. yeah she was just sitting there like you're a complete nerd i don't know why i'm with you which i i sympathize frankly but uh but yeah so there we go lord of the rings watch it I think so what we're going to do now folks is we're going to go into a brief section where we talk about stuff that we're looking forward to um that's coming up in the near future mm-hmm. I'm conscious that we're we're at an hour 15 now so we'll rattle through these as quickly as possible yep. so as not to keep you too long um so have, uh, Anthony, have you got anything well, on the radar when you say coming up soon it doesn't mean they're being released soon it's just the things no, that we're, we're thinking just stuff of, that's caught your eye stuff that's caught your eye watch. So basically, yeah. I'm going to watch John Wick because of what we've talked about today. I'll, I'll yeah. I'm sure that's on some sort of streaming service. Um, and then I've got two films that I really have wanted to watch. One of them I haven't seen before, and one of them I have seen a long time ago. And that is, I'm also going to watch, hopefully for our next Diary episode, I'll have had this watched. Uh, and that'll be Theory of Everything. With, okay. Uh, uh, Eddie Redmayne. Frankly, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. Eddie Redmayne, yeah. Um, <laughs> Strange Eddie Redmayne actually was around for years, and then Les Mis came out. I saw it. I was like, "Oh, this is a new actor." And then I look back; he's been acting for like fifteen years before that. Like, it's yeah, weird. he's he's a lot older than he looks. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just missed his his first yeah. like fifteen years of his career. So Eddie Redmayne, jo- I'm sorry, no, Eddie Theory of Everything, John Wick, <laughs> and then the last one that I'm going to watch, which is going to be a slog. I know it's two hours forty five minutes long, but I haven't seen it since the cinema, and that is the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I, I've never seen that. It's, it's yeah. I, I might I might try watching that. It's, it's not it, not a movie that made, like the concept doesn't immediately grab me. Well, it's 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 the type of film we were talking about last week, uh, where like it's like a fake biopic. Yeah, you know, like like Big yeah. Fish or like Forrest Gump. That's what is it is it kind of like using Benjamin Button to view the world around him, or is it more about his character and and his relationships? It's about his character. Okay, I I, I should watch it. I I've heard good things. Um, yeah, so but, that's what I'm gonna watch. 
Okay, that's a, that's a good list, a solid list. Uh, I think I, I've also added one to mine based on these discussions. So uh, I'm going to probably, I need to watch the second season of The Mandalorian. So I was going to subscribe to Disney uh, Plus anyway, but I think I'll check out Soul while I'm there because oh, yeah. uh, that sounds great. Um, you've also, you have sold me on Tenet. I think I am going to, I'm going to try and catch that. Well, you, um, you said that you, it, when it comes to an action film, if it looks good, that's a certain amount of the way there. Yeah. Tenet is a film which looks amazing. It looks beautiful. It really okay. does. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing you can, you can never accuse Nolan of not making his films look amazing. Like yeah. he can do a set piece um, even when he's, even when his other stuff is struggling. Like just um, go into it knowing that it is very convoluted. Uh, yeah. And then, which, you know, and, and, and then hopefully you'll sort of get through it without hating it. Um, I know yeah. when I watched it, I was like, this is, you know, very convoluted, very Nolan. Uh, yeah. And Conrad could go either way on it. That's all I'll yeah. say. Well, we'll I say, we'll see. Yeah, like, you'll not you'll not hate it. You don't hate any Nolan film. No, no. It, there's none that I wouldn't watch. I just I, I, there's some that I love and some that I think are just okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so the this is one I don't think uh, that you had heard of prior to me mentioning it to you. And it's it's I mean, why would you? Because it's kind of a uh, it's a Danish release, but it's uh, another round, which is a Thomas Vinterberg movie. Uh, sorry, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, that's come out this year. Basically, it's about a group of teachers who discover a theory that if you maintain a certain blood alcohol level, uh, life is supposed to be easier. So they kind of it's basically like a bunch of teachers descending into alcoholism, and it's a very dark comedy. Um, it is it's not out in this country yet in the, uh, this country being the uk so i need to keep an eye out to see when that releases but i have got my eye on that um and uh the last one for me it's coming to uk netflix and hopefully other netflix on december the on january the first and that is 2012's dread which is a fucking cool movie it was a complete failure financially pete travis i don't think he made much else before or after this i think he mainly did television Mm -hmm. Uh, it's got carl urban as judge dread It, it came out the same year as the raid did you ever see that movie no so it's basically it was one of those weird deep impact armageddon moments where two movies with very similar concepts released within six months of each other where basically cops go into a tower block to get you know in this case it's to uh, investigate a crime and end up kicking the hornet's nest and having to get out alive uh it is a phenomenal movie if you're in the mood for a really cool kind of dystopian sci-fi action movie 2012's dread is the place to be awesome i will watch that Cool. Okay. Well, I, I think that that pretty much does us for this week. I, I, you know, we've got we've got a, a svelte hour twenty two, which I think is, is I, hopefully our, our listeners are appreciative of that without us uh, rambling on too much. Yeah. And really, there's only one thing left for us to establish here at the end of this episode, and that is simply, Anthony, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie is Apollo thirteen. Amazing. What's your, what's your favorite movie, Conrad? My favorite movie is The Fellowship of the Ring perfect choices and i'm gonna say thank you to nancy wyatt and jared iscariot for the use of their theme song we've got links to their stuff down in the uh, description below check that out um and yeah thank you for listening catch us next week share the show with your friends like subscribe do all that stuff and we will see you i I said we will then i actually meant we will see you in a week's time and cut